Activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by the amazing Philip Duncan. Philip Duncan is an award-winning and best-selling self-published author. His debut novel, Blood Ties, won the gold medal for military thrillers at the 2022 Global Book Awards for self-publishing. Philip was born and raised in East Tennessee, where he still lives. Interestingly, side note, first time I ever read that word, I thought it was Tanise. Um, since the age of 16, he has had many jobs, including landscaping, farming, uh, farmhand, deli clerk, and personal trainer, but writing has always been his genuine passion. He currently writes fast-paced thrillers, where he aims to keep his readers on the edge of their seats, not knowing what's coming next. He's very much a pantser with his books and enjoys letting the characters he creates dictate where the story goes. When Philip's not writing his next book, you can find him coaching other authors, working out, and spending time with his beautiful wife and two kids. Philip, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. No worries. I'm excited to chat to you. Just a note for listeners, I do have a little one on half term this week. So if there are any odd, strange noises in the background, that'll be why. Um, but now that that's to the point, I just want to say hello. Um, and so I, I came into your sphere of being, Philip, a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, we had a, a bit of a chat for some of the stuff that you're doing. Um, and I, I do feel like there are quite a lot of sort of parallels in the terms of how we think and how we approach different books, which I, I'm going to dive into in a little bit. But how I wanted to start this interview was actually a little um, comment that I picked up on on uh, one of your websites, which was that you are a big fan of The Office. And I just wondered, what is it about The Office that, that grabs you? And why is it that you've watched it for at least 100 times? Yeah, um, I apologize. I like the U.S. office, not the U.K. office. I was also going to knock on the U.K. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the U.K. office made it past the first season. So, um, dude, I don't know, but it is like, I feel like it's a part of my life. I don't know. I just, I think it's so funny and engaging. I got shirts. I've got mugs. Any, like, at least 10 times during the day, I can... relate an office reference and it drives my wife crazy (laughs) i don't know i just think it's it's one of those shows that i can sit down and watch that like helps me escape and unwind and stuff like that and it's just man i don't love it (laughs) it's Mm. so funny how did you come into the sphere of the office what was your first how did did you find out about and and have that first watching experience yeah it's crazy because i remember people talking about it in high school and i was like they try to explain it i was like that doesn't sound funny like Mm. whatever so like never even thought about it and then like probably two or three years ago my buddy finally got me to watch it and the first few episodes are kind of slow and I'm like "Ah, it's it's okay but then second season through the end like I'm talking I think I watched the whole thing in like two weeks and then (laughs) I kid you not I've probably watched it all the way through 20 times and there's a lot of episodes (laughs) that's dedication for you yeah, no, yeah I, uh, it is. I, I feel bad now because um, I'm one of those people that I've tried to watch it. And I think that first season just stalled me a bit. And I've heard so many people going about it's just, you know, breakthrough to the second season and it kind of like explodes. Um, but I think it's that curse at the minute of, you know, there are so many things to watch. So it's like finding the time to watch them all. But when you find that nugget, when you find that thing that's yours, um, for me at the minute, that's Parks and Recreation. I, I do. I'm watching it again. I've seen that 10, 20 times. I'm watching it right now. I so love good. that show. So it's good. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but let's go into a little bit about yourself and your writing journey. Are you happy to give my listeners a little overview on how you got into writing, kind of where you went along the way and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So um, I don't know if I, I didn't really, I didn't stumble into it, but you know, for people that have followed me and heard my story, I kind of struggled trying to find my purpose and calling in this life. Like I was working these dead end jobs. I got stuck in a nine to five for like seven years, no growth. No, I mean, it was just miserable. And I was trying to find something that got me excited and I wanted to get out of bed in the morning. So, you know, my wife and my dad tell me all the time, they're like, you can't just keep throwing stuff against the wall and wait for something to stick. Cause I mean, I was trying everything. It was, it was, trying to find my purpose, but also trying to make money for my family. So I was Mm -hmm. trying to find something. So I was trying, I was selling insurance. I was writing blog articles for finance company. Like I was doing anything and everything I could, but none of it really hit. And it was just, I didn't really feel excited about anything. And then I ended up 
coming across um, Mark Dawson's self-publishing 101 course, who, I mean, if anybody's in self-publishing, it's like, good luck trying to make a course about self-publishing if Mark Dawson's selling his course, because uh-huh. it's just like, it's, it's incredible. So that actually got me interested into like starting to get into writing. But I, then I was like, well, what do I want to write? So I wrote a children's book first. And then once I got to the illustrations, I stopped because I was like, okay, I didn't, I didn't want to put the time in to figure out illustrations and finding somebody and stuff like that. So then I was like, okay, so what do I like to read? I was like, I like to read thrillers. So I was like, let me try writing a thriller. And I just sat down one day and I just started writing. And then it's like, now I, I, like I open my eyes and here I am. Like, it's almost like it doesn't feel real. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you decide to do something, you go all in and then it just kind of unfolds. Mm. I love that phrase all in. Um, I think that's something we'll definitely jump back to, but you spoke about, you know, trying all these different things to try and find your purpose. I think that's something that a lot of people really, really struggle with. And, you know, even if you believe that your purpose is writing, you then have that age old question of, well, yeah, you know, writing what? So as you were going along that journey, how did you approach trying to find your purpose? Because, you know, from, from my experience, other than trying lots of different things, it's very, very difficult to try and find the thing that strikes a chord with you. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and I think really just trial and error for a lot of people. I mean, if you're lucky enough to find it right off the bat, that's amazing. That's awesome. But that wasn't my case. Um, but I guess writing for me, I always enjoyed writing. So kind of like in the back of my mind, it's always kind of been there. Um, you know, I did well, like writing English papers and, you know, reports and stuff like that. I've always enjoyed it, but I've never written for, you know, now what I write thrillers and self-published and stuff like that. But it's like when I sit down and write, it's almost like watching The Office. Like it helps me. I'm almost escaping into this other world and I get to re- like it's almost like relieving all this stress, which by no means is self-publishing, not stressful because it is, but like when I sit down and write it, I don't know, it's something it, like it did something for me. Like it hit this switch inside me. That was just like almost instantly. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my time. And I just, I have not looked back. And I no means mean that writing is easy. Um, but I wonder <laughs> if this reflects on, on you as well, but there's definitely a sense of a lot of the stuff that I do where it feels easy. So it feels like it shouldn't be work. I don't know if that was like similar experience to when, you know, you actually got into the writing and started moving along that kind of just almost like the wind is no longer against you and it's working with you. Yeah. You definitely build that momentum. And it's like, I think that's where like routine and finding what works for you is so key, but yeah, there are times you're right. Writing is not easy. Doing this is not easy, but it's doable and people do it all the time. But you get that momentum and kind of, I don't know, you get in your rhythm and routine. It, it does feel like you're kind of moving forward effortlessly, um, which helps. You'll always hit those stalls and those points of like writer's block and, you know, struggling getting the words down the next, you know, one day um, or whatever it is. But yeah, I think kind of the more you do it, it's kind of like honing your craft every day. I, d- I do think it helps make it an easier process, even though it's not easy by any means. Mm, not at all. No. So what was it that brought you to the Mark Dawson course? I know, I think you said you stumbled across it. And what was some of the early lessons that you learned from taking that course? Because I agree, it's a fantastic resource to, to give you everything you need to learn about self-publishing. Um, but even so, that you know, having access to that amount of content can sometimes be overwhelming for authors. So is there anything specific that, you know, kind of buoyed you along and, and, and helped you get started in writing? Yeah, it's definitely overwhelming because <laughs> it's like his videos are very in-depth and all-encompassing and detailed and stuff like that. But the one that really hit me, so I've, I've bought his 101 course, his marketing course, his launch course, and then Susie Quinn, who I've actually had the honor and pleasure to interview, um, she has a how to write a bestseller course. And I took that. I was like, I mean, literally from start to finish, and the second I finished her course, I went to my desk and started writing because listening to her course and how she broke things down, because, you know, when you first get started, you get stuck. You're like, well, where do I start? How do you even write that first word? Like you stare at that blank page you've never started before. It's like, what, like I'm supposed to write 70,000 words. I can't even write the first sentence. Like taking her course helped provide clarity and some like motivation and momentum for me. Um, so I would say her bestseller course alone is what finally pushed me to start. But Mark Dawson's course of like, the importance of having an author website, 
the importance of growing your email list, you know, giving reader. I didn't even know what a reader magnet was. I've never heard of that. Um, you know, you heard lead magnets, but we're talking reader magnets. It's the same thing, but in the authoring world um, and stuff like that. And then all the resources and tools that he provides and shows for people getting started who don't know things out there like story origin, book funnel, um, you know, uh, pro writing a like all these different place cover designers and stuff like that um, just really helped me kind of focus in on what I was trying to do and gave me clarity. Um, and I, I, I don't know how I found him. I, I, st- I do not know how I found his course and no idea still can't figure it out, but I did. <laughs> and he has a lot of my money. <laughs> it's serendipity. And he has a lot of my money too. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's well worth it, especially for those resources. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this, who is looking at taking that step in, it's just, I, I, it's a fantastic place to start. I think it's a scary thing as well, you know, investing that amount of money in yourself. Um, but I, I, I don't know how, how you'd kind of progress any other way apart from putting that money in. Um, when you first started writing, you mentioned, obviously, you didn't, you kind of like stumbled into all of this. Were you, how did you approach the actual building the habit and building the routine of getting the words on the page and getting started? Because for many people, that is really the hardest part is carving that time out and really beginning that habit. So what was that process like for you? Yeah. So for me, and this is probably most people, but you know, I was working a full-time job. So I had to find time outside of work nine to five, worked a typical nine to five. So I also had a wife, a daughter at the time, and then she was pregnant with our second kid. So there wasn't a lot of time for me to focus, like selfishly take time to myself. So it's like, I couldn't come straight home from work and start doing it because I wanted to spend time with my kids and my wife. And then, you know, so I had to, I really, I did two things. I balanced between getting up in the mornings. So I would get up at like, you know, 5 a.m. and try to knock out like an hour, an hour and a half of writing. And then if I couldn't do that, I would come home. And when everybody was in bed and relaxing, I would go down to my basement around like eight or nine o'clock at night and get the words in then. Um, And it was every day. And it was you just building that habit. You have to find what works for you and then try to stick to it as best you can. And you could change and adapt, but I think really for people who are like full-time jobs, still trying to do this routine is so important because words need to get on the page or it will not get done. What about those days when the words were tough to get to? Did you give yourself a break on those days or was it a case of very diligently smashing through and just keeping up that, that habit? Yeah, since I was new to it, I tried to kind of push through because I was so eager and excited to get it done because um, I, I kind of surprised myself and I, I didn't realize that I, I was kind of stuck in the idea of like your book had to be a certain word count and then it was going to take like a year to get your book published. And then it's like I figured out that wasn't so much the case. Like you can get your you can basically publish your book as fast as you want when you self-publish. Um, so I would push through. And I would, sometimes I would struggle to get like 500 words on a page. It was just like trudging through like quicksand. It was like felt impossible. But now I usually kind of take a step back because my, my situation is a little different now. So I allow myself to kind of step back and clear my mind. And then if that doesn't work, I'll kind of go back to a part in my story and read down to where I am now and hope that gets kind of the creative juices flowing and kind of my mind back on track for where to take the story next. Mm. and so you we mentioned in the bio about the fact that you know you work out you know strangers sort of hitting the gym and, and building that sort of habit did that play into the writing side as well was there sort of correlation there or did the the working out come after you started writing oh exercise I love working yeah. out yeah, yeah I've always done that it's been part since I've played baseball my whole life exercise and you know athletic events and stuff had always been the case so when we lived at my old house I actually had like my desk was here where I wrote and I had my gym behind me. So I love it. I had my gym in my house. So there was literally no excuse not to work out because I'd have to drive anywhere. Um, But yeah, I think exercise in general is such a huge key for mental health, physical health, emotional health, you know, spiritual health, like whatever it is. I think it, it gives that it'll help you. And honestly, it'll kind of help you with whatever you're trying to do because you'll have more energy, you'll feel better. Sometimes it helps clear your mind because you've got music or you listen to a podcast and you're lifting weights or you're running or whatever it is. Um, so I absolutely make sure exercise is a huge part of my like daily routine, even now. So I guess this is slightly tangential, but also in line with um, writing as well. But, you know, 
we we all know that exercise is helpful for that kind of stuff like I know that if I'm stuck or want to get energized I'll go for a walk or I'll kind of go for a run or something just to get the blood flowing and to you know get the the, the mind awake why do you think so many people don't incorporate that regular exercise routine into their schedule when they know it's something that will help them feel better and will help them produce more and to be more creative what is it that stops people from doing that do you think well I think like anything it's I don't have the time like people mm. and that drives me crazy and I try I get it trust me you might be the busiest person in the world I understand but if you look at the most successful people in the world entrepreneurs business owners these fortune like these just business magnets like you listen to every single one of the routines they all incorporate exercise so I'm thinking if that person can run a company or multiple companies and do what they do and they still have time to exercise I don't have time isn't an excuse and I'm not taking somebody's busy, busy life. Like I'm, I'm not like trying to put it down or take shots at it or anything, but I think when something's a priority and you make the mental shift uh, to make it a priority, I think time doesn't become a factor. You will find what works. You have to get up in the morning, you do it on your lunch break or you do it in the evening. And I, I just think it needs to be a part of, everybody's routine and I don't have time is not a valid excuse <laughs> mm. it's similar with writing as well you get a lot of the uh, I don't have time and whenever people say that to me it's it's similar to what you said it's you know what are your priorities because I mean it, we, we should all accept the fact that there's not enough time in the day to do everything but if you know if you're constantly going on about how important something is to you and how much you want to do it then you can find the time it just might mean you know taking out something that is a little bit less of a priority to put in the stuff that you want um and that's not saying like you can never watch netflix or do any of that <laughs> stuff but at the same time like maybe watch a little less or spend a little less time on, on phones and I, I speak of that from like the position of you know someone that battles with that constantly um how how do you kind of swing a little bit back to the the, the habit um thing with the writing as well but gym wise routine wise all that kind of stuff do you have any sort of particular tips or tricks for the days when it is difficult to stay in the re regular rhythm of, of the stuff that you want to do? Yeah, for me, what I've found to be huge is you need to, the night before, you need to write down what you need to do the next day. And it needs to start with the, what's the most important thing that's going to move your business or authoring career forward the fastest? And that's what you focus on first. And then you kind of delegate down you know, getting it written down the night before will go ahead and get your mental shift into what the next day is going to bring. So you don't have to spend the mental energy when you wake up or you're scrambling through, you're like, Oh, I gotta do that. I gotta do that. I gotta do that. You're checking your email and you're trying to write. And then you're like, you're doing these 10 things at once and nothing gets done. You do 10 things that get 60% of the way done and nothing gets finished. So it's like, if you can write your priorities down and just kind of block your time out hour by hour, however you want to do it, I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to, you know, meditate and read this time and exercise. I'm going to write, then I'm going to work on emails. I'm going to, you know, do my course, like whatever it is you're doing, like you need to schedule it the night before and get it in your mind and ready. And then the next day you make sure you stick to it and don't let your try your best not to let yourself get distracted with your phone or a show or, you know, whatever it is that comes up, because I think the less mental energy you can spend figuring out what to do you'll have that mental energy to actually do what you need to do i love that and it's amazing like you say how many of these universal truths echo back the more you speak to people that you always expect for whatever reason a different answer and it always boils back to the same <laughs> fundamental principles it's yeah it, it, it just rocks my mind um so you wrote the the award-winning book blood ties um after following through um mark dawson's self-publishing formula going for all that kind of stuff Talk to me about the, the launch of Blood Ties before the awards and, and how you felt putting that book out on the market. Was it to a roaring, uh, roaring success as many people expect or, you know, what were the expectations going in and what was the, the reality of, of launching that book? Yeah, super scary, by the way, for anybody who hasn't published a book. It's like <laughs> I try to explain it to people like my family, my wife. It's like it's almost like you're running naked through Times Square at peak hour. Like it's so <laughs> to me, it's so like. It, it, you're putting your heart and so you put your heart and soul into something, whatever book it is that you write. And then you're about to put it out to the world to be criticized, loved, hated, um, reviewed, you know, people send you email. I, I mean, I've had people send me emails and comments. It's like, 
what did I do to you? Like, all I did was put a book out and you're acting like I came and took your child. I don't understand. So it's like, it, it is very nerve wracking. Um, I, I, doing it the first time, I think it's important just to do it and get it out. I tried to do it the best I could, but obviously you learn things now that you didn't before. And I was kind of really passionate of getting it out as fast as I can. I was able to do that. Um, I wouldn't call it a roaring success. I think it's hard for the first book to blow up for most people. Um, it's like catching lightning in a bottle or you're like a unicorn if that happens. Um, so I would say, don't expect that to happen. <laughs> don't put all your eggs in the first book's basket because you're going to need more. Um, that's why writing in series and stuff like that's so important. But yeah, getting it out was just exciting, nerve wracking. Um, just so many emotions at once. And then it's like, but it helps when you, when you finally hit publish, it helps like you, you feel established. Like I did it. I'm a published author. And then you kind of work on the next thing, the next book, the marketing, like whatever it is. But um, yeah, dude, it was like a feeling like nothing else. It was a freaking crazy ride. (laughs) Uh Yeah. I remember holding the first physical paperback I had in my hands and having that moment of like, Oh, just sort of admiration. And then looking at the book and going, well, what, what, what next? <laughs> That's right. Uh-oh. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, I've got to do it all over again. Uh, but um, that, is, that is just a journey. And like you say, it's, you know, you, you, you get on and you crack on with the next book. Um, so how did it come about you winning the uh, gold for military thrillers in the 2022 Global Books Awards for self-publishing? Yeah, and congratulations on that. Book- <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm just, I was the only book in the category is how it happened. <laughs> um, I wasn't. No, I saw at least two other books in there. So. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I remember getting an email from Ray Brim and he had like a link to the global publishing book awards for self-publishers. And I was like, Oh, that looks interesting. So I clicked on it. It was like, you basically paid like a fee and it was like, put your book in here to get nominated for whatever category your book is in. And then we'll run the awards. Well, I don't know how they pick or choose it. Like, I don't know. Um, but then I almost kind of forgot about it. And then I got an email and I was like, Oh, I forgot about this. And I read it. I was like, I'm like, mm, is this spam? I don't know if this is real. Like, and then I went and checked <laughs> out the page. And I saw it. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't, I can't believe they picked my book. Like, how bad did those other books suck? And how many? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but it's like, it was super cool. I never would have imagined that. And I did it just to kind of do it, never thinking it was going to win. Um, but yeah, I was super, it was super cool to get that email from this, from that company. Mm. Yeah, it must be a really uh, strange moment having that come through and just being like, huh there's something in this and i will say you know having looked through your website and looked through you know your book covers and some of the content and things that you actually seem to have paid attention to mark dawson's course because everything looks professional everything looks sort of really above board and you wouldn't sort of have guessed you know that it's all self-published which is one thing that i'm really keen to impart on the people that i coach is that you know there shouldn't be any difference between your book and a traditionally published book it should just be a joyful joyful uh, experience for the reader um but yeah, man, congratulations. That's, that's, that's huge. Thanks, and how has yeah. that, has that done anything for your career in terms of selling more books? How has that moved you forward? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really harnessed the power of it yet to try to push things forward. And I've added it mm-hmm. to like anywhere you can find me. Obviously you want that like social proof and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, my mom and dad told me good job. That would that meant a lot. <laughs> and my wife and stuff like that. Um, Little pat but head. yeah, I just think yeah, I think it's cool just to be able to see that. And it's like, when I think back to starting this journey and I was like, mm-hmm. before I ever even had the first word written to now, and I see that it's just like, man, if I can do it and I'm like the biggest idiot I know, like if I'm able to pull it off, dude, anybody can. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it was cool. I, I can't wait to kind of use it to really in my marketing to use that, to see what kind of results I can get from it. But um yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Mm. And you're, um, as far as I understand it, full-time in this author business. So how how did that come about being? And what does that look like a typical day for Philip Duncan as a, as a full-time author? Yeah, so that came about um, me hating my job I was at. And I remember walking. I was just telling my wife this two days ago. And I was like, or no, my best friend, I saw him yesterday when we went out to lunch. And I was like, yeah, I remember at my desk, walking down the hallway. And it was like, something stopped me. It was the weirdest thing. Like something stopped me in my tracks. and was like, you have to leave, get the heck out of here 
and start doing something for your life and your dreams and your goals. And I was like, oh man, that's crazy. And then like 30 minutes later, I went to my boss and I was like, hey bro, I'm out two weeks. I can't do it. Like I can't do this anymore. Like I got to go pursue this. Um, and then sold my house, moved my wife and two kids in with mom, which is where I am right now. So I could use that money to start my business and then launched my first virtual summit back in March, which gave me the foundation for my business. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without virtual summits. So now my day consists of getting up, doing my morning routine, like reading and um, devotion and meditation, coffee. And then I go to the gym and then I come back. I spend some time with my kids since they're up at the freaking crack of dawn. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I have my schedules blocked out for, uh, you know, I'm working on a couple projects right now. So I focus a couple hours on a project, take a short mental break, lunch, focus a couple hours on a project. Um, and then I'll write in between those two or I'll write before. And then I kind of, you know, I'll do my email in there between two. Um, but I make sure that each block is focused on one thing because I'm very much somebody who gets pulled away to too many different things. Like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I, now I know if I focus block by or hour by hour, what I'm doing, I can get more things done. So, um, it's a little bit of writing, but it's mostly business stuff now because that's what I want to push forward yeah that's that's a big move I really really admire having that push just to be like I'm out bye and then (laughs) you know to shift and to change your life to adapt to a situation in which you can you know as as far as obviously I know from this conversation um sustainably finance yourself and and to move towards making this a reality for yourself I, I know a lot of people who get caught up in in the rigmarole of the mortgage and the car and and everything else and then the idea of shrinking and downsizing and and moving and shifting things to pursue that dream i mean there's no light it's obviously a massive shift and a massive thing to 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 manage but so many people don't take that initiative to pursue the thing that they say that they want more than anything else in the world what was that conversation like with your wife and and how did you navigate that because i can imagine that would have been quite interesting to to be a fly on the wall for uh it went it was an interesting conversation and it's actually one it's an ongoing conversation still even seven months later but you know to be completely honest before i quit my job leading up to it i remember july 13th of last year 2021 i had something that shifted my life forever and basically was the first stepping stone towards me leaving my job and pursuing this full-time um so for you know we can be honest on here, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So for people who don't know me yet and don't follow me and you're not on my list or something, I've shared this with some people, but July 13th of last year, I was actually, because of my job got me down. I think a lot of people can relate to this. I was, I felt so beat down and like just unmotivated, um, worn out mentally, physically, emotionally. Like I had nothing left in the tank. I could not do it another day. Like rock bottom 100% mental rock bottom did something that just forewarning people if you're at your mental rock bottom do not drink alcohol it's not a good it's does not make things better okay I don't drink normally and I haven't in a long time but I was so bad off my wife was actually out of town at her parents house a few hours away and I was at home by myself and I remember driving home from work one day and I couldn't do it anymore and I went and got alcohol which I don't do And about four hours later, I was arrested for a DUI. Huge deal here. Not, I mean, anywhere, not a great thing. Still dealing with it now. That was the first stepping stone for me because I was like, if this is what my job and my life is doing to me right now, I'm going to end up getting myself killed. I let my family down, my wife, my kids, my parents, my friends. Like I could have hurt somebody. I could have killed somebody. Like I think about it every day. It's terrible. And I'm still dealing with it. But that was the first step towards me leaving my job and pursuing my dreams because I realized I wasn't living my purpose and I was my true calling wasn't being utilized and I couldn't do it anymore. So I I actually thankfully came out of that unscathed in terms of physical harm. Nobody got hurt. There was nobody else in the like no accident, nothing. I got so lucky by the grace of God. I got so lucky. But if it wasn't for that night, I tell people I'm grateful for that night. Because that is what, that is basically the reason I'm here today. And if it wasn't for that, I think I would either still be in that job 
where I would have done something much worse. Mm. So I didn't yeah, expect but... to bring that up, but <laughs> no, no, I genuinely appreciate you sharing that. I think um, one thing that I really try and dispel on this podcast is just the honest truth behind so much of this thing. Because I get tired of hearing success, like not. In... <laughs> I get tired of hearing success stories. I love success stories. I hate people that are successful. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get really tired of hearing success stories without the background, without the color of you know day to day life. With the you know, oh, I just get up in the morning, I write for three hours, and then I'm done for the day, and I'll have a margarita on the beach. That's just not the reality. <laughs> For so many people, so many people have wives and, and children and all this other stuff going on. Um, and, you know, I would genuinely share um, an equivalent of my story were it not for present company, because I don't think that's now the environment with a little one sat on the sofa. Um, but for people interested, it will be in my latest nonfiction book, um, because we, we, we do have these fundamental moments that, that change us. And there was a quote and I never remember who to attribute it to or, or where I heard it. Um, but years ago that I heard the kind of shifted a lot of my thinking and, and led to a lot of the uh, it was a catalyst of a lot of things in my life and that was true change only ever comes from inspiration or desperation and so you're either incredibly inspired by something you've seen something you've witnessed that you're like I need this I want to do this or you have those down moments those really rock button moments where you're like I can't live like this something bad's going to happen um and I think you know you should be thankful for that experience because that has led on to other things I think sometimes we need those near misses to remind us of the, fri the fragility of life and you know the stuff that we are missing out on because we are stuck in the dead-end job and just kind of going along it's, it's very easy to get sucked into the current and the stream of general life and to forget that we are individuals and we're you know that there are so many more choices out there so you know knowing knowing what you know now from that experience what would you say to that person who is the quote nobody who is just sat in the office and thinking like I would love to write but it's just not a thing that I can do it. This is a story for other people to go out for. What would you say to, to that person? Uh, I would just say, you know, kindly, I can get kind of brutally honest because I'm a pretty direct person. So, you know, it'd be like a, a kind way of saying, suck it up and do it anyways, or try, because the worst thing you can do is sit idle and do nothing. Because if, you're, if you just put your dreams on the back burner and then you go to work every day, what you're doing is basically working your butt off to help somebody else achieve their dreams. So, and you don't get anything in return. They give you what a paycheck. You're trading your time for money. How about do something for yourself? See if you can build a career out of this and then go work for yourself and build your own dreams and goals. And it all starts with sitting your butt down at a computer and typing and start writing. If you've got, you've got a book inside you, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. Like there's something inside you that you know you're wanting to do and you're already thinking about it, then your mind shift is already there. You just need to sit down and do it because you don't want to have these big moments like I've had that have been pretty, you know, serious issues like with that DUI or when I lost my older brother to suicide my freshman year of college. And, you know, he was my best friend and my older brother. And it was just it freaking changed everything in my life and what that did for me was make me appreciate life and realize how short it is and that we only have a finite amount of time on this earth and you need to take advantage of the time you have because time is unforgiving it's going to pass regardless of what you do so mm -hmm. you might as well do something today that your future self is going to thank you for i'm just gonna that's it for a minute <laughs> a very eloquently <laughs> sorry no perfect. got a little intense there <laughs> no i love it and it kind of you know goes into stuff as well you know we mentioned the intro about um your author coaching and the, the different things that you're doing you mentioned a little bit earlier about your your virtual summits um which is a bit of a bit of a strange segue from that stuff but tell us uh tell us about the virtual summits and how you're kind of going about making that happen you had the um all the, the titles blanking on me the, the author powerhouse summit in march was it um how did all that come into into being yeah. So yeah, I launched my first one back in March. It was, uh, it's funny cause I've actually, I've retitled it now to the powerhouse authoring summit. When I launched it the first time, it was the powerhouse fiction summit. And the only reason I put fiction in it is because I wrote fiction. So I felt I needed to, but the reality is most of my speakers were nonfiction coaches, entrepreneurs, business owners, like, you know, stuff like that. But you know, I can't, virtual summits came to me a couple of years ago from Ray Brim and Paul Brody. And I remember when they first told me about it, I was like, 
Mm -mm. This is the stupidest thing I ever heard. It doesn't, there's, there is zero way this works the way you're telling me it works. It doesn't make sense. Like, no, I'm not doing it. Like whatever. Thanks for the opportunity. Just, I brushed it off a year later. (laughs) Somehow Ray comes back to me. I get back and Ray's like, Hey, come do this done with you. Like six weeks of coaching for a virtual summit. I was like, Hmm. Okay. That's a lot cheaper than the first option. It's interesting. that this coming back to me. Let me just try it out. Mm-hmm. I did it. And I was like, holy crap. And I saw all these big names and like these examples of what it's done for people's businesses. I was like, okay, I'm trying to get my business off the ground. And when all this was happening, mind you, I was still working. I was dealing with my legal troubles. We were trying to sell our house and I was trying to get this summit going. So it was like, <laughs> like the most stressed I've ever been in my entire life. So I did like the first half of the summit at my old house. And then I finished up doing it here at my mom's house. And I mean, literally it's been a massive game changer. And I think everybody should at least explore the option of doing their own virtual summit, because what it does for you is you connect with these people, like me reaching out to you before and Mm -hmm. interviewing you for my summit. It's like, dude, if I could reach 30 people like you, And I'm doing the interview. Not only does it feel like a cheat code that I'm getting to interview all these people and get all this information, then I get to put that out to people and they get to learn about it and hear it and get access to all this stuff from all these massive people don't care what I have to say. I'm doing it because of the people I'm interviewing. And I just think there's literally nothing out there like this, in my opinion. Um, It's like picture going to like a huge conference of like you just went to like a four day like horror writing conference. I don't know what you said it was, but Yeah, yeah. yeah, so imagine that except it's virtual you see all these people that are on a panel of speakers and experts you look up to and you know and you follow except it's virtual you do it from your home and you can access it anywhere um so it's it's absolutely like my number one business tool right now and what i focus a lot of my time on mm, it's certainly got my uh, <laughs> my will spin into speaking to you about it last time a couple of weeks back um but what are what are the big benefits of it so from, from either side, from someone attending versus someone looking at running a virtual summit, what are the kind of pros of, of going down that path? Yeah, so if you're attending a virtual summit, um, what that'll do, it just depends on what the topic of the virtual summit is. But like, for example, um, like for somebody, if somebody was going to attend my powerhouse authoring summit when I launch it, um, they would, you, basically what you're doing is getting access to 30 or more interviews like it's almost like doing these individual podcasts and then you put them into this virtual summit vault for people to access you're going to learn and get access to all these experts and influencers in marketing crafting writing self-publishing book covers editing um building a business like anything you could imagine that goes into self-publishing and getting your career started off the ground scaling whatever it is is literally going to be all in one place and then people who purchase the premium pass, a lot of our speakers or a lot of my speakers offer bonuses and that can be accessed through the premium pass. So you'll get all this courses, coupons, information, like whatever it is. And it's just for such a tiny price. And I know price is subjective, but considering what you're getting for what you're paying, you look at it as an investment. I always tell people who don't want to pay for something for their business. I say, okay, don't think about it as paying. Think about it as you're taking this money from here and you're investing it right into your business and future. So it will pay huge dividends down the road. hundred. So, uh, yeah, so that's what and I'm, I'm always so willing to drop money as an investment into something that I think is going to move my business forward. No brainer. If I find something that I think is worth it. And I think virtual summits can be that for a lot of people because it's actually not that expensive. And it's also free to attend if you don't want the premium pass, um, but I won't get into all the details, but, um yeah that's the benefits of attending now the benefits of hosting which this will get your interest because i think you'd be somebody perfect for it because you already interview people is (laughs) the three big things that it does it does more than this but the three big things that we say it does is lead generation income and authority so what it does is just to give you an example like a couple of examples ray brim's first summit when he first launched his summit, he was his business that he was running by himself or his, you know, entrepreneurship business. He was about to have to go back to work to nine to five. Like he thought he was going to have to go back into the working world. Discovered virtual summits, launched his first virtual summit. From the time he launched his first summit a year later, based on the relationships he made with influencers, 
the premium pass sales that he made and his email list that he grew, he made $240,000 off of his one summit in one year. Now, somebody like Brian Bernie, who actually I'm friends with now, he's a marketing expert. A lot of people probably know who he is. He just ran his third summit. His first summit, this is crazy. People are going to think this doesn't make any sense, but I'm telling you, it's insane. His first summit, 3,500 new emails and about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 in premium pass sales. So that's in one week. That's in one week. His second <laughs> summit, he doubled his list, 7,000 emails and like 50 to 60, if not more, $1,000 in premium pass sales. And then he just ran his third summit, added another five or $6,000 or another five or 6,000 leads at another $25,000, $30,000. So if you take all his three summits, He's put about 16,000 new, who wouldn't want 16,000 new emails, right? Like legit warm or hot lead emails, right? And people are going to unsubscribe. That's fine. But 16,000, I mean, come (laughs) on. And over $100,000 in revenue from just premium pass sales. And that doesn't even include business relationships you make. Or Mm -hmm. if you have a core offer, here's another big one, big benefit. Let's say you have a core offer. So for you, you have a coaching program, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say- you're getting ready to launch your program. Let's say you're going to launch your program a month after or a, a week after you launch your summit. You would, at the end of the summit, drive people to your coaching program because they've seen you for a whole week. Your authority is up. Your influence is as high as it's ever been. Your credibility. And you just drive people to your core offer and it works like magic. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, I could talk about this all day. And I know it yeah. sounds crazy to people who don't understand it. And I'm not pitching anybody, but I'm just telling you, like, it's insane. It yeah. really is. I think that's always kind of, as I mentioned earlier on here, like the danger of talking about this kind of stuff is it does feel pitchy, but it's not pitchy. Like <laughs> if it's true and, you know, I've seen, I've, I've been on quite a few different uh, virtual summits and I've seen kind of that environment. And it is one of those things where I'm like, you know, the brain cogs are turning about the possibilities of, of stuff to do with that. Um, but just for my listeners, why don't you sort of share some of the the, the guests that you had on your, your previous summit, just to give an example of some of the names, because I know that people who listen to this will recognize a few of them. Okay, so just to put you uh, on the spot. Summit, <laughs> yeah, oh, pff, the spot. Um, so I had people like Ray Brim, Evan Gao, who's the creator of Story Origin, Honore Corder, who's a TEDx speaker and mm-hmm co-author of the miracle morning series and she's got like 50 plus books so she's a freaking powerhouse yeah Derek Depker who I think everybody knows in the self-publishing space Brian Burney who I just mentioned a marketing expert um Matt Stone from 100 covers the creator of 100 covers I had him on there he's super awesome guy um who are some other people I had on the first one because I had 15 I mean just Kimberly Grabas or Grabas, however you say her name, she's got a massive self-publishing website and like business behind her. She was a, she was such a joy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen Ferreira, massive in the children's book industry. She's like the go-to, I had her on, love her to death. And then now I'm adding 15 new people like you mm-hmm. and Mark Recklow and Jesse Krieger and Kevin Tumlison, um, you know, just all the Alexa Big Wharf, like all these massive people who, for some reason, agree to talk to me. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's like, imagine where you're sitting right now. If you're listening to this and you think you're a nobody, you have nothing to offer. Think about those names I just mentioned, like me talking to you and then all these other people. Imagine yourself being able to interview these people and then you put it out to the world. What that does is people now look at you as what? An expert. Like, you know what the heck you're talking about, even if you don't you're interviewing these people so you look like the expert i mean it's crazy yeah what you're talking about there is kind of the magic formula for i think just like success generally in terms of networking things because when i first started podcasting way back in 2016 um and i had a, a podcast with luke condor the story studio and we started that just talking to each other and it was just us two talking about our journey into into writing into self-publishing and then within a few weeks, we had like Joanna Penn on there and Jay Thorne and, and all these names of, of these people that I, I just massively respected. And it was just, just as easy as reaching out and going, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And that was, you know, it, for them, it's no money. But, you know, coming onto like a virtual summit, of course, they're going to earn something back from this as well. But the, the magic really is that authors and creatives love to talk about themselves and they love to talk about the creative process. So like when when people kind of ask how i get into podcasting and just as you've demonstrated then there is no real secret 
It's just start and do and make happen. And that is kind of the magic of this business. Yeah, it's crazy. And you're right. Like one cool thing that's different from podcasts and virtual summits is, yeah, you're not going to earn anything if you're a guest on a podcast, but a virtual summit, most people like the way I do it is you become an affiliate and anybody that purchases like a premium pass from your list, you'll get 50% commission. So you can earn a lot of money literally just to be a speaker and then put it out to your list. And you're going to email your list anyways. And you're just putting like a quick little link in there to be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, go check out my interview with so-and-so on this summit. We talked about this, go check it out. If you want the premium pass, here it is. And it's like, bam, 50% commission like that. Um, Plus, you know, people get to see you and then they can go check out your offers and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, it's, it's incredible to be interviewer, interviewee or attendee. So Mm. On the assumption, uh, just because this is similar to my journey, I don't know if it's the same with yours, but um, how have you dealt with imposter syndrome along the way if that has popped up with you? Because I know that when it came around to me really stepping out and becoming much more front and centre and authority in in the stuff I'm doing, there was certainly a really sort of wobbly period of trying to come to terms with that kind of like, well, I'm a nobody, like I'm going to get found out, all that kind of stuff. Is that something that you've had to deal with as well? 100%. I think most people have that issue. It's like, that that mental block of you're not good enough you you don't know enough you haven't done enough you're not like I don't have 20 books out and you know whatever hmm. it's like but the the, the the reality is like you've done something that somebody else hasn't done and there's somebody looking to you for help or as a role model because you've done something they then that makes you an expert like there's no impo- like as long as you're not like trying to push something to people that doesn't make sense or like you're lying about something to get them to buy something like you you literally are being an imposter and misleading like that's one thing but if you're like genuinely trying to help or you're genuinely trying to become a success or a self-published author or stuff like that like I get that's an issue you have I, I mean honestly sometimes like when I'm interviewing people or people agree to be on my summit like I it, I'm like I don't, I'm not worthy. Like, am I really worthy enough to like interview these people? And I'm like, ah, they're just people. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. we're just talking. So then it's like, I turn it off. I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. They agreed to, I don't care. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you're def, you definitely have something or you've done something that somebody else hasn't done or they won't. So that, that automatically makes you an expert. Mm-hmm. And the integrity, as you mentioned, is, is huge. It's much easier to, point of a better word sell something that is truthful that you believe in as opposed to trying to peddle something that's you know going to trick and and um, it just isn't worth what 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 you're trying to push um we are coming up to the end of the interview i have sort of two more questions one of them is from me and one of them is from someone else which i'll go into in a minute uh i'm not trying to trick you or trap you i realize how that sounds um but before we go into that that final question myself one thing i have noticed is that since our last interview where you interviewed me we have swapped the hats and hair situation. It was you with a hat last time. <laughs> the only reason I'm not wearing a hat right now is because I just got a haircut. Hey, when I showing did, it off. Yeah, so, but I love my hat. I, you're right. I usually wear my white backwards Adidas hat because mm. I love my hat. I wear it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my final question to you is, uh, why do you, Philip Duncan, write? Yeah, um, I guess the simple answer would be because it's what I love to do. And I think it's part of what I, what my calling is. Like, I think I have other callings, like helping people and coaching and stuff like that. But when it really kind of comes down to it and boil it down simplicity, it's because I love to write and it's, it gets me excited and it makes me feel like I'm living my true purpose, which is really all you can ask for. It's like, even if you don't make all the money in the world and you don't get to go buy this bungalow on the water or whatever it is and you private jet, it's like, are you waking up, living your purpose, getting able, being able to do something, let's say full-time, let's say you're doing it full-time, like being able to do something that you truly are passionate about and love and want to do. I mean, I don't, what else could I ask for? Mm. Beautiful. Love that. Okay, so uh, as plugged last week on the podcast, I've un- unabashedly stolen a, uh, a section for this podcast from a um, podcast called The Diary of a CEO, in which last week's guest poses a question for next week's guest. So last mm. week I had um, Ella Barnard on the show, and Ella has left a question for you, and then afterwards we'll get you to write a question for next week's guest, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. Perfect. Sure. So the question for you is, 
People often ask, what is the biggest challenge you've experienced while becoming an author? I'd like to know what is the most amazing experience you've had since becoming an author? Uh, whew, that could be a couple of things, really. Um, Let's hear them. Either, yeah, so definitely getting that email, becoming an award-winning author, huge, that put me over the roof, man, to the moon. Um, hitting number one on a lot of categories inside Amazon's US and UK store to be able to call myself a best-selling author. That was really big for me too. Um, and then honestly, being able to do this virtual summit because it is a part of my authoring career. Like it's not traditional towards my book, but because I'm building my career around my authoring, like those two plus being able to do this and now implement this into my business are those, those three together are like make everything that I've done up to this point, all the money I've invested, all the time I've invested, um, the move, the, you know, the crazy life changes, like it makes it all worth it. And, you know, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change any of it. Perfect. I love that. And uh, we'll get you to do your question once we've, once you've wrapped up recording. Okay. Um, but just for my listeners, where can they find out about yourself and all that you're working on? Yeah. So um, go to a couple of places. You can go check out my website is just, you know, www.philipsduncan.com. Um, that's my author website. You'll see my books in there and my bio and stuff like that. And then you can also go to uh, summit, virtualsummitcoaching.com. If you're interested in learning more about virtual summits, um, you can head over there as well. And then you can always reach me at my email, which is just philip at philipsduncan.com. I respond to all my emails pretty quickly. So questions, anything you have, I'm always open to engaging with my audience or anybody. So feel free to shoot me something. Beautiful. Love that. Um, and yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes, but a massive thank you for joining me on the show today, Philip. Yeah, man. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. No worries. And a massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. And as always, if you're looking to level up your writing and activate your author career, head on over to activatedauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything else that we've got going on. One more time for myself and from Philip. And goodbye, and I will see you next week. Activate your energy.